0: Welcome everybody, this is Green Your Mind with Jason Safford. I'm here today with Adam Schwamm of Sandwire. Uh, He's been in business for 25 years, and Adam is in the IT business, but he is also a master marketer and an incredibly powerful fundraiser, uh, having a history with a local charity called uh, The Fight for Charity, in which he has put on the gloves and stepped in the ring uh, for a few dollars, and in fact, created the marketing slogan "What are a few punches worth?" Adam, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. So, I guess the appropriate answer would be, "Thank you for having me." Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, so, let's start with how you got into this business. Um, 25 years ago, you ventured out on your own and decided to start Sandwire. What was that all about?
1: Um. I was not scholastically inclined, as scholastic education is not for everyone. So, um, either be an entrepreneur and turn into a rock star, or suffer w- through life without an education and um, take whatever jobs come your way. Uh, so,
0: why it? What did it, what what picked?
1: What, um, what made you pick it? I actually, I started my career um, being a paper boy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, being a paper boy and having all sorts of odd jobs way back when I was a kid, when mm-hmm. odd jobs were still around and they weren't automated. Um, I was working part time at a printer, and um, they used to print all these pads with different things on them, like said, "I love New York" and things like that, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of off prints, and uh, they came with pens and shrink wrapped mm-hmm. and everything, and I would buy them for a nickel a pad. Right, the off prints and sell them at a school at school for a quarter of a pad. Gotcha. It was great. Gotcha. And um, for whatever reasons, I left school at 16 years old and um, kind of had to venture out into the world. Um, I found myself working for this guy that owned seven nightclubs. Okay, um, doing whatever he told me to do: hand out passes, uh, stand at the door and do this, deliver money there, pick up this, do that. They owned uh, three night. They owned seven nightclubs, open three nights a week. That was 21 nights a week of. You yeah. <laughs> of having to promote and do many different things. And uh, I got to bartend and work with people. I worked in the main office at uh, one point or another. Some computers just ended up coming into our office. I never questioned that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was the wise guys. So, you know, okay. things just came in. Gotcha. And um, And so
0: you got into the computer. Well, yeah. So
1: as we were doing the promotion of nights, you know, I was on the computer creating some passes and things like that. And it was pretty cool. And then I started automating their business with computers and they became legit. And uh, during that time, I was um, working with the radio station, buying airtime and got to know them and started somehow helping them with their computers, too. Night club business kind of turned. Okay. On Long Island, you know what? They cracked down on underage drinking, and then it all ended, and uh, what was I going to do? I approached the radio station and said, hey, you got an office down in the basement. Let me trade it for computer services and some airtime.
0: Wow. So you started with a barter and trade to grow your business.
1: And um, that was it. All of a sudden, I was uh, on WLIR radio doing my own commercials and uh, getting some clients, and sure enough, that's where... So what was the
0: landscape when you started, you know, in terms of your competitors, the, you know, the general sense of IT support services, you know, tech well, that, in general?
1: It was when Windows was in its embryonic stages. Okay. Okay, so we're talking like the end of DOS. It was just prior to Windows Y2K. 3.1, yeah, Windows 95. it was just Windows 3.0. Yeah. <laughs> it was just prior to Y2K. Mm-hmm. And um, there were a bunch of places that were using computers here and there. And all of a sudden they were afraid of Y2K. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. Everyone had to go from DOS-based stuff to Windows. And sure enough, I just started building my business. It just happened.
0: Right. And so in those early days, um, did you have a lot of competitors? Did anybody steal business from you? Did, did you experience any you know, challenges with regards to growth?
1: I didn't know anyone else in the business at the time. okay and uh, people were coming to me right So it was like he was the computer guy right So I didn't never worried about competitors or people taking my business. Um, it was a much different world back then mm-hmm. and um, I really never worried about that. it was not for a long time right I felt now, like I was the only kid on the block.
0: Did you have a staff or was it just you?
1: Well, first it was, um, you know, it started with just me and then I had a friend, I had some friends that were working with me in the nightclub business. next thing you know, they were answering phones and doing some stuff on QuickBooks and um, it was still before... We had kind of automated things. Really more was, can you go there and drop off a computer? Uh, Can you go there and check that out? And I was always on the headphone walking people through certain things. I had some friends of mine, uh, specifically this girl named Michelle, that had worked in the nightclub business doing stuff. She was always answering phones. Next thing you know, she was answering phones with me. I had this guy, Richie, who was always constructing sets and things like that at the nightclub, and next thing you know, he was on the phone doing designs on the computer and doing printing, and I had these people running my office, and uh, during that time, I, I took an IT course, because that's when everyone said, you got to get Windows certified, and I met a bunch of other people there, and just over time, you know, things just grow.
0: That's awesome. So, in terms of your partners and collaborators, the people that you began the business with, did they... Um, help you to develop the business or business culture, or were they kind of just there, and slowly over time you developed the business and you know found out what you were doing, and different people came on board.
1: You learn a lot of things on the fly. Okay. Um, you learn how to do things, what to do, what not to do. I actually took a partner in because it was a friend of mine who went to Wharton School of Business, and I felt, oh my God, he went to Wharton. This is who I need as my partner. Right. And. Um, You find sometimes you find things out about people that you just don't like. Right. And um, after a short period of time, I realized uh, he was not the guy that I needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I learned my most valuable lesson in business. Mm
0: -hmm. Which was?
1: Watch the money. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You know, I was watching all sorts of other things except the money. And um, fortunately, before it was too late... um, I was able to part ways with him. Okay. And um, in the grand scheme, it was the best thing that could have happened because I learned a lot about myself. Yeah. Mostly that, you know, I wasn't scholastically educated, and I was relying on someone who had gone to school who could write. You find out when you get put in a position to do certain things. Yeah. You just do it. Right. And sometimes you find out you're good at those things, or you're not good at them, but you do them because you just have to. Right. Right. So.
0: Obviously, you had that challenge, um, you know, and and in terms of working together, you looked at him from the standpoint of being um, more educated than you, and so therefore maybe more responsible or more organized. What what was the draw, the attraction to really bring him in, besides the fact that he was got a sixteen hundred
1: on his SATs, he had a Wharton right, so he was of, just smart. So a for Wharton you degree was, of business on the wall and. Um, he was working for Anderson Consulting at the time. Okay. And I felt that that he was the guy and he didn't like being there. He wanted to become a dentist. Okay. And while he was studying for his boards Mm -hmm. I um I had him working in the office and, you know, he realized all of a sudden he wasn't studying for his boards anymore and he thought this is what he wanted to do. Right. And um
0: what was the role that he played? Was he more the business manager Uh yeah,
1: the CFO, business manager, um I needed also I didn't understand really how to manage mm-hmm still don't think I've actually completely grasped that yet yeah yeah you, know, you find out over time that you know where you lack I realized that I'm a great leader and where I fall a little short is management
0: okay so let's talk about that from the standpoint of greening your mind one of the the big challenges is is that you're always filled with distraction And being able to green your mind is being able to weed out that distraction and focus on what you're good at. And from the standpoint of you built this company 25 years ago, why is what you do so important?
1: To me or to my clients? To you. Um, Well, I don't know if I could ever actually work for someone per se, but maybe that as you get older and you become more focused and more driven. You can, but um, I'm not scholastically educated. I do not have my master's degree. And although I have a lot of talents and skills, if you want to go work for a large, let's say, health service system or something, a master's is what you require. And I'm already at the point in my life that I don't think I could go back to school for seven years. Yeah, That's a real challenge for me. So either end up just working in sales for some company or... Mm -hmm continue doing what I'm doing.
0: Right. So now flip that to your clients. Why is what you do so important to your clients?
1: Well, at the end of the day, it's my responsibility as for what my company does to keep all of their clients up and running and productive all day, every day. So if you're managing 2000 computers, you're managing 2000 people. It's right. my responsibility. So truthfully, Um, I sit on the management team of every one of my clients, and it's my responsibility to manage something that someone works on all day, every day.
0: Yeah. What's that like?
1: Um, Customer service. That's always what comes to mind. Yeah. No one ever calls me up to say hello. As a matter of fact, you find out as ownership, um, you are the complaint department. Yeah. Okay, and that's just the way it works. And in the tech world, people go from zero to angry, like six seconds,
0: if that. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, you're not the um, you're not the solution to the problem. You're the reason it happened.
0: And in terms of you know, so so from a standpoint of your business in the industry and 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 the IT support you know industry obviously has grown dramatically over 25 years sure Um, what are some of the valuable lessons you've learned from your clients you know being the complaint department and um, having to adjust your business to help them improve
1: rule number one about customer service and clientele psychology first technology slash business second okay and there's a lot to be said about that
0: so tell me about the psychology
1: someone calls up with a problem, whether it be a computer problem, a billing problem, or just an overall frustration in general, don't jump into the solution. Okay. Listen to their problems first. One of the challenges that I had as a business owner, you know, you get to a point where you start worry about losing your business once you have a staff and overhead and things like that. So you jump so quickly into almost yesing them and talking to them about their problems. What they really want to do is just be heard.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And, you know, with that being said, listening to them has actually helped me understand my own business a little more because I've realized one thing. I am my own worst client. When my computer's not working, I go from zero to angry in three seconds.
0: Wow. And who do you call?
1: <sighs> my employees hate me for that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I want to I switch I wanna gears. I want to be now. in front of the line. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I, I want to switch gears now and talk about. Adam Schwamm the marketing guru with uh, the fight for charity and obviously it's a crossover because you have built this business based on your attitude your charisma your willingness to you know get the job done for people but you have a social impact in your uh, focus on charity and helping and giving back and I think that that uh, actually is a big part of why Sandwire exists to the degree that it does in the marketplace. So let's talk
1: about that. Okay, so I did it in reverse. Usually people build a company and then the brand is built about around the company. right. I built the brand first. right. So when you see the name out there, there's much of there's a much bigger brand than market name. Then there's an actual company. Mm-hmm. It just kind of worked out that way. Right. Uh, living up to that expectation is a little challenging. And, um, you know, they say perception is reality.
0: Yeah.
1: Whoever said that has no perception of reality.
0: Wow. Explain that to me.
1: <laughs> okay. So, if, whoever they is. By the way, I never understand yeah. who the they is. Yeah, who yeah, is yeah. they? The phantom they. Right? Um <laughs> But if you looked at all of advertising and marketing, a lot of the work that I've done over the years was barter. Okay. I was just helping all these different companies. So I was in magazines and, um, you know, no one did websites way back when. So we had to do them, although I hate that business. And that's why it's a whole separate entity these days. But at the bottom of every website, it said Powered by Sandwire. Yeah. And I was just happened to be in a networking group called the Long Island Elite. And one of our, let's call it charters,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: was to as a business group to come together and be able to do charity work and and hang out at the same time and I got to know every charity mm-hmm. and who supports charity? Philanthropers what do philanthropers do? Own businesses mm-hmm. what do businesses need? IT yeah so um, I, and I used to support a lot of these charities and I put Powered by Sandwire on the bottom of every website because everyone needed a webpage yeah And it kind of grew that way. So what happened is, is that the charity work ended up servicing the community, um, knowing the philanthropers, getting Mm -hmm. the thank yous and the accolades for doing all these different things, which is real, um, turned around and supported my business. It's a, it's a really, you know, they say that term win-win. Yeah. It really is.
0: Okay. So getting into uh, the Long Island fight for charity... You started with them, and back in 2004, I believe it was, Yeah, you, it, you stepped it, in the ring and, and... Oh, it
1: was 2003. Okay. I, um, I got involved with Jeff Cohn, who was in one of my business groups and supported his uh, charity. And he did this fight for charity. There was six of them in 2003. And I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. I could go up in the ring. Right. And um, I stepped up. And at the time, I really felt that, man, there's just not enough here and I got a big head I mean I figuratively and really do have a large skull a big, okay. large cranium um, I just wanted to do it Okay. so you know the responsibility of a boxer is to raise the money Yeah. and how was I going to raise the money
0: how We're did you put... raise the money
1: oh man I came up with all these concepts but um, I worked with a guy named Bill Corbett I had a PR guy who I supported him too did some trade with him who became my closest friend and we came up with a concept what are a few punches worth and we marketed it to no end. And um, it kind of became the, um, let's say, the unsung or the unnamed tagline for the Fight for Charity. Right. And over the years, the marketing campaign that I came up with, they just kind of used for every boxer for the past 15 years.
2: Yeah. And yeah. Um,
1: I did the event. I boxed. said it was never going to do it again. Right. Right. Then... For one time only. Um you know, sometimes things happen. Fifteen years later, you feel good, you get in shape, you watch it, you enjoy that adrenaline. At the same time, um, I really think that the fight for charity just needed another boost. Okay. And um, we did this all without social media, even without email in 2004. So now there was a whole way of being able to, you know, market, you know, videos and things like that. So why not make a movie?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so tell me about that. What happened?
1: Um, A lot of pieces had to come together. I was pretty much into it. I've always been a super Rocky fan. I grew up Rocky. Who didn't? You know, now I'm at the point where I got a few more bucks in my pocket. I got a lot more reach, and um, why not put on my, like, producer's cap? Okay. So, um, let's make some funny videos, and originally it was, you know, let's make a few funny videos and send out, you know, uh, a couple of excerpts and things like that, just some shorts. And um, had this idea that maybe I'd make a small film, but you know, who knew? You know what I was going to do. And uh, at the fight for charity in two thousand eighteen, I bumped into a young director named Tyler Miranda. What better venue to meet someone at than at the fight for charity? Yeah. And, and um, I'm thinking.
0: So that's where the marriage began. Oh yeah, I'm
1: going to make a Rocky film.
0: Okay. <laughs> and you did.
1: Oh yeah, it and was... It, uh,
0: and how, how did it come over?
1: Um, I gotta tell ya, no one's ever gonna look at me the same way, ever <laughs> again. You know, I dropped the weight, um... You know, who, wants, who doesn't want to be Rocky? I mean, the only thing we didn't do was chase the chicken because now everything is like you get in trouble for doing everything. So, you know what? You have to do what's politically correct. Right. The animal rights people, the people at Pet Peeves, may not have appreciated that okay. too much. And that was one of the yeah. charities. But we really... That, that you know, was good thinking. <laughs> don't, don't, don't I, actually, I right. actually did ask them what they thought. Yeah. And they said, well, if we're one of the recipients, we won't mind. Oh, <laughs> wow. Interesting. Interesting. But, um, you know, I was able to put myself in shape. Yeah. drink the eggs run up some steps you know yeah. and by the way it's a very interesting thing running up those steps you know, yeah. i think that almost every guy after seeing rocky wants to run up those steps yeah and it was reality for me
0: that's fantastic yeah. so was that so you made the movie you got to run up the steps and then you actually went in the ring oh, yeah. and you went in the ring against a buddy of yours that you convinced to be in the movie and play the part of a apollo creed for no other reason than that was your vision, and you sold him on this whole concept.
1: Oh yeah, and Bert delivered, man. Yeah, he really delivered the line. What are yeah. a few punches worth? That's you awesome. Know, um, Bert has almost no humor in him whatsoever. Right. Um, don't let Bert hear that <laughs> He'll be listening oh, to this, <laughs> and he'll you know he'll beat me up again. That's what <laughs> That's he's right. going to do. But um, so you might be in the ring but again. But we needed some uh, humorous <laughs> and some seriousness, and um, it would not have worked without Bert. Yeah, there was no if I came up with this concept there was no way it was going to work it had to be him as a matter of fact coming up with the concept I came it up with I came up with it with already Bert being the Apollo Creed, even right. though I didn't ask him yet,
0: right? He just knew it was so, it. So yeah. you knew it was him. You visualized him. Now you had to convince him. Oh, there was which a def- was which was an uphill battle.
1: Uh, a little bit. I know he had thought about doing it, and if right. I actually challenged him like in public like yeah. that, there was no way he was going to back down. Right. And you know, what? it would have been really wimpy if I would have challenged someone else who was smaller. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I had to make it really. I mean, if you look at the poster for our movie, yeah. It looks like a whole, yeah, Rocky Apollo. It does, yeah, it yeah, does.
0: definitely. So, so Bird accepts. You guys train, and you get into the ring with each other. What was that experience like?
1: So, um, I can say this now: Bert had busted my ribs. Okay, like a few months prior during sparring. Bird yeah. has no idea how strong he is, or just turn it off. I mean, I'm thinking that he probably just didn't like me or something. We'd go into sparring, punching me in the face, busting my ribs, whatever. He just, and no one had ever tagged him in the face. Yeah. And, you know, finally he understood like a week before we were going to the ring, oh, I gotta back off. Now's not the time you have to back off. We've raised all this money and now they're expecting a war when we go up there.
0: Right. right. So
1: we're going in the ring and the adrenaline's flowing. You're nervous. It's like 2,000 people staring at you, screaming your name. You know, you literally go up. It's like it's like out of a movie. You're looking yeah. around at everyone, and the excitement's there. The adrenaline's there. Yeah. And now you oh, and they played the movie Yeah. right before we went up. And the last scene of the movie is that we're in the, in the locker room taping our hands, and we walk out. That's the most insane. Right. And by the way, Bert's friends are our friends. So people didn't know who you'd cheer for. They were just cheering. They were just screaming. You know, it got even to the point, I'll you know, skip to the end real quick. They were saying, one more round. Yeah. Okay, but so you get in the ring and we're dancing around a little bit and Bert finally gets it. Oh, maybe I shouldn't beat up Adam. I told Bert he lost in the first place. I mean I had to get into his head. So yeah. why is that? I go, You're bigger than me so if you knock me down I gave him a Star Wars quote, you know, when if when when um, when Ben Kenobi said to Darth Vader, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. So I told him that he didn't quite get it. Yeah. Um, and I said that if you beat me up too badly, they're going to boo you. And I said, you're just a bigger dude fighting a smaller dude. Yeah. You lose. Yeah. So, But we're in the ring right now. And I guess he got that. He didn't want to beat me up too bad. But, you know. It was sixty five thousand dollars that we had raised, and all those people out there wanted to see a real fight. So he's 000, now sixty
0: five thousand dollars.
1: That's right. And he's sitting there 000. dancing around like a ballerina. Yeah. And I cocked back, I punched him in the face as hard as I could. Um, Little I punched, interruption there, but that's yeah, okay. That's right. In the in the height of the moment. Right. Right. I right. punched him in the face as hard as I could. Yeah. Man, you should have seen the look on his face. Yeah. I actually got scared. And what happened? He cocked back and he punched me in the face as hard as he could. I felt that in my toes. But you wow. know what? I took it and I could tell you something. Yeah. I didn't feel anything after that punch.
0: Okay. So, so you guys got to that point and then you went through it. You came out and you realized... You oh, no. Just... We weren't done yet. All oh, of a sudden okay. after
1: that punch... Then it was the war between Apollo Creed and Rocky. Then it was on. Then the the songs were playing in my head. So you
0: got your licks in.
1: And you know what? Yeah. I can't say that I would do it again. Yeah. But um, I would do it again. Okay. For for what that $65,000 is worth, I would do it again.
0: That's awesome. So let's step back now. Um, We've got a few minutes remaining. Do you look at your social impact in terms of being able to help this organization and what you did really as your marketing for the company?
1: All right. So I'm going to explain something about that. Go That's ahead. interesting. Yeah. Pretty much not once during that entire year that I advertised Sandwire.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Although I was a sponsor of the event, you know, you get your name up there with all that. Yeah. It wasn't about that. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. I didn't want to, you know, say that Sandwire was presenting this fighter. Right. You know, it was me. Yeah. And that is what made it real. Yeah. I think for everyone that I... And also I promoted myself. I did a year-long advertising and marketing campaign. And um, it was completely worth it in every way, shape, and form. Okay.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the fact that you are, in a sense, the brand. Um, As you just explained it, it was really about you. Let's translate to your your company and team culture. How do people in your company feed
1: off of you based on you being the brand? Well, they were pretty happy to watch their boss get punched in the face. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) seems to have that dream. Oh, I'd love for that guy to get his (laughs) lights punched out. But um, everyone was really excited about it. That's awesome. I stepped up. Yeah. As a matter of fact, this year one of my employees is stepping up too. That's terrific. And he's gonna fight you. Uh oh. No. <laughs> but um it really showed that we do give to the community and that I'm willing to take a beating for this company. Yeah. And it wasn't just a the company they knew it was, you know, all around, but um um I felt it was very good. You know, when you talk about team building, how awesome is that? to have everyone there cheering. And it's funny, you had Bert's team in his office sitting right next to my team in my office all screaming our names.
0: Yeah, yeah. So looking at the future, what is the urgency for your company's success at this point? Now that you've gotten to this point, you've you've demonstrated that you're a leader, Um, you're willing to take a few punches um, to make your company proud. You know, going forward, based on where the market is, where it's going, what's the urgency to be successful? Well,
1: if you're going to pull off a year-long marketing and advertising campaign, you better be able to support all that market. You're expecting a return. You know, even though it's not for the company, yeah. you're out there shaking hands. That's yeah. already yielding returns. Mm-hmm. And now I made that investment in the marketing and advertising. I'm now making the investment in the company. Yeah. And the investment in the company is... Um, being able to grow, yeah, got to have space to grow. Space yeah. is what we have. It was a little unfinished. We're finishing that up, and uh, at the same time, we're looking at how to fill the, all those new seats.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, final question in terms of filling those seats, in terms of Sandwire as a company, in terms of you know going forward, if you could put it in a nutshell, how excited you are about the future, and that one core value that you started with, what what really is is it going forward? Well,
1: being an entrepreneur, your goals change. Yeah. Well, build the company up, make it run efficiently, because it ran really well during the year, and um start producing movies. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I gotta tell you one thing. Yeah. Pulling together an eight and a half minute film. Yeah. At ten locations, yeah, with six people and crew, and literally over a hundred people helping you, it's just as much work. as running an entire company. Yeah, but um, my company worked during that time, and it worked pretty well. Yeah. So now it can work even better, and I see the market changing, mm-hmm. and um, trying to stay in front of the curve. What's uh,
0: the opportunity in the marketplace now?
1: Right now, it's all gone cloud, 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 cloud. Yeah. And um, Sandwire's up there in that cloud. Okay. And, you know, that's, I mean, a lot of people keep saying that. I've been there for years with it, but there's a lot of industry change when it comes to that. There's a lot of staying in front of the curve, new vendors. And by the way, I have to tell you one thing that fight really does get you recognition. Yeah. My vendors were impressed.
0: Good.
2: Good.
1: And they all flip, and they all put up a few bucks. Yeah. To watch me get punched in the face. By the way, that was it too. 500 bucks. watch me get decked.
0: There you go. So if you had anything to uh, tell your customers and listeners um, about your experience as an entrepreneur and how you have been able to shift and, and weed out distraction to be focused uh, as you are now in your business, what's, what's the main thing they should take away?
1: The takeaway is this. In all seriousness... We do care about our clients. Our clients are our lifeblood. Everyone here who works for Sandwire in some way, shape, or form is like a stockholder in the company. It's all a personal, moral, it's a personal value to them. It's of personal importance that our clients be happy. They don't get just graded with what they get paid. They get graded on their performance and how much people really like them.
0: Adam, I want to thank you. This has been a great interview, and I'm sure our listeners will have lots of feedback for you. Um, This is, again, Adam Schwamm, CEO of Sandwire and uh, marketing guru for uh, the Long Island Fight for Charity. I'm Jason Safford, your host, and this has been another episode of Green Your Mind.